five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. It is indeed great to be in the podcast orbit. Uh, Welcome to Sports and More. This is episode four, recorded on June 10th, 2019. My name is Dean Millard. It is a pleasure to have you aboard. I thank you very much for uh, joining us on the show tonight and or today or whenever it is that you're listening. And uh, we've got a fun one lined up for you. Craig Button from TSN is going to drop by. We're going to discuss game seven on Wednesday night between the Blues and the Bruins, we're going to discuss the Edmonton Oilers, where they go from this point forward. What do they do with Jesse Pogliarvi? What about the changes? We'll look into the draft, and we'll discuss Craig's uh, hockey life. It's a really cool story uh, about uh, his parents' involvement in the game of hockey at high levels in the National Hockey League, and uh, his as well. So we're going to talk to Craig Button from TSN. We're also going to be joined by an Oilers fan. If you were ever... Uh, a fan of our uh, post-game show on 1260, uh, you might remember a gentleman by the name of Moog, a mostly overly optimistic guy. Uh, he is an Oilers fan, uh, wasn't for a while. Anyway, I got to know um, this person in my life and tracked them down, brought them, going to bring them on the show and find out, you know what he, this is a person who was a massive Oilers fan, was calling into our show all the time, um, came up for some uh, games. I met him at uh, um, the, the one place we were doing our uh, show from and then just disappeared. We didn't hear from him. And he literally uh, left uh, the Oilers. He jumped off the bandwagon, but apparently is back. So we're going to get his point of view about the Edmonton Oilers moving forward. Uh, as usual, we'll have the Myron French question of the day. I'll give you that in a second. Our top three is the Soprano characters, and I'll tell you why. We will have best or worst doing uh, my wor- the worst first goal in hockey. Uh, the first goal I ever scored in the, in the sport of hockey. Uh, it's a worst story. New segment, it's called Goalie Geek Out, and it will be accompanied uh, by a terrific song, Pele, by Sweet Bejesus. By the way, Sweet Bejesus is now the official band of Sports & More. You'll be hearing some of portion of their songs uh, throughout the show in some of the transitions. So we're going to have Goalie Geek Out, where I'm going to tell you about a goalie that I loved as a kid and one that maybe uh, was not so much of a fan of. So we'll have that for you, and we'll close out with John Candy characters. Talking Jack Chester from Summer Rental today. And then we'll do Cool of the Week and Obscenely Rich List. So fun show. Uh, let's get it going and uh, talk about, obviously, Game 7 coming up. Um, by the time you listen to this, uh, the Raptors may have won a championship. Uh, that game is going on right now as I record this, but, uh, so I don't want to dwell on that too much, except for that. It would be really cool. We're going to get into uh, a question about that in just one second, but game seven coming up 
Wednesday night, Bruins, Blues. The only thing better than that would be if Game 7 went to overtime. Playoff hockey overtime, particularly in Game 7, there is nothing better in sports. I will argue anybody that. Sudden death for a championship? Man, please, Wednesday night. Let's get some overtime. That that's what I'm cheering for. I you know what I I think as a a fan the story of the Blues is awesome and I would love to see them uh, win the cup for the first time. But I just want to see it go to overtime. Game seven overtime Stanley Cup final. Like I said, nothing better than that in sports. Hmm. What's on my mind today? <laughs> I don't know. You want answers? I don't know what the hell he wants. Let's get into things. Let's get real. This is the Myron French question of the day. I read you loud and clear. 10-4. All right, well, if you don't know who Myron French is, if you didn't graduate from uh, Crocus Plains High School in Brandon, he was a uh, teacher that I had in high school, a uh, law class, he used to start every class with a question of the day. Sometimes it would be about what we were going to be studying. Sometimes it was about concerts that he'd seen. It was just ri- ridiculously awesome class. Um, me and my friend Jeff spent most of it uh, doing uh, f- uh, fake all-star bands and betting on fake hockey games and uh, not really learning a whole lot about the law, but we did enjoy ourselves. And uh, that is why it's called the Myron French question of the day. He was my high school law teacher. So the question is today, which would be a better movie? The St. Louis Blues, if they win the Cup on Wednesday, or the Toronto Raptors, if they win an NBA title? When you look at the Blues, they were last place on January 3rd. They had already fired their coach. Then they get this this, this crazy story where they're in Philly watching a football game at a bar with a bunch of Philly guys that they know, and they're they're watching uh, the playoffs. And the song Gloria keeps coming on and they kind of sing and dance and the Philly guys, and they say, decide to say like, let's use this as our new goal song. Like, let's go for it. And they're like, okay. So they start doing it and they win and they go something like 29, nine and five to finish the season. And now we're one win away from a Stanley cup last place to possibly winning it all with a great, like you can only imagine what that scene would look like in a movie. I think you could have a lot of fun with that. Then, of course, there's the Raptors trying to win a title for the first time, fly the championship banner north of the border like the Blue Jays did in the early 90s. Kawhi Leonard's miracle shot. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? He's a quiet leader. All the the things that went on in the background with arresting him. So there could be some really, really good stories told with both movies. I think the whole Gloria thing and team coming together is is kind of like, um, almost like uh, in Miracle where... When, when uh, Herb Brooks was asking w- who they are and where they play from, and finally the guy figured it out that he played for Team USA, I'd like to see the Blues. Um, you know, there's Patrick Maroon. That's a cool story as well. But not that the Raptors story wouldn't be awesome. They'd, it'd be good movies. Um, so anyway, I asked it on uh, Twitter as our Myron French question of the day. Uh, Inner City Smitty at Clara's Lee Dad says, uh, is there an option C, both? Well, let's make both of them. Uh, that Maybe that'll be on the Obscenely Rich list later on today. Uh, the Padrino says blues, and then um, John C. Uh, just threw out a uh, Simpsons gif saying wrong. Uh, the uh, This one uh, says Raptors for sure, and it's got a uh, Drake gif. And uh, Scott 
Empson on Twitter, at Scott Empson, says, Raptors win would not play well in the U.S. markets, but it's a uh, great story. Yeah, see, and I don't know. Basketball is uh, pretty much an international game. So uh, I think I would like to go Blues, but I wouldn't... uh, would, wouldn't avoid a Raptors movie, uh, that's for sure. I just love the whole Gloria angle with the St. Louis Blues. So uh, that's my thoughts and uh, read some of yours. And you can always get to us on Twitter at Duck Millard. Uh, you can uh, email us at sportsandmore at gmail.com. And, of course, you can uh, check out the website, deanmillard.ca, for uh, all your podcast needs, whether it's this one or the Prospects Baseball Show or Cannabis 101 podcast and uh, more to come on podcast alley that's for sure three two one and liftoff let's go time for your top three liftoff and the clock has started roger zero g and i feel fine beautiful beautiful today's top three is in honor of The Sopranos. Uh, did you know that The Sopranos' final episode aired on this date in 2007? I got into this show way, way late, like this year. This is the this year I watched it. I loved it. Um, if you've seen it, you, you probably have a strong opinion on the ending. I'm not going to ruin it for some people, but it was a great show. And even if the ending wasn't what you wanted... The characters and the writing leading up to it were awesome. And that's what we're doing today. Your top three Sopranos characters as the final episode aired on this date in 2007. And uh, some interesting replies. Uh, Sean Mullen saying, uh, Tony, he can't be topped. Ralph, because more mayhem than any other temporary guy. And Polly, because it's Polly. Polly Walnuts. Ralph was, uh, Ralph Ciparito was crazy. Like he came in destroyed a bunch of stuff, and then was out like a light. Honorable mention to about 20 others. Their character lineup was deeper than the 2002 Detroit Red Wings. Uh, that's uh, that's uh, pretty interesting, actually. Um, when you think about all the different characters that came and went in The Sopranos. Uh, Daryl Walski says uh, at uh, 2112 Hockey, I met David Chase at a Newark airport, and I said, please tell me tell me Tony didn't uh, get killed. He says, it is whatever you want to believe. Uh, so there is an interesting twist to the ending for sure. Tony, Paulie, and Christopher from Brent uh, Titler. I was, uh, was never that much of a Christopher fan. He actually kind of annoyed me. I, he, like, he treated his girlfriend like dirt. And uh, uh, he just had some uh, serious issues. Now, I did feel bad for him for what had to happen, but um, I was never the biggest uh, Christopher fan. Uh, Christian from Phoenix chiming in saying, Tony Silvio and Pauline Walnuts. And uh, Ralph Kruger Oil on Twitter says, other than Tony, Polly Walnuts, Silvio Dante, and Junior Soprano. Did not, was not a fan of Junior Soprano uh, either. I... Uh, I just really couldn't get into, I don't know, he was just a, a jerk, uh, if anything. So I was not a fan of uh, Junior Soprano whatsoever. And a couple of more late entries uh, coming into this one. Sil, Bobby, and Johnny Sachs. Uh, Johnny Sachs getting a vote. Uh, 
did some time and took a hit uh, for the uh, the crew, I guess you'd say. Uh, Tony, Chris, and Paulie getting another vote from uh, at Blown Irock. So here's my three. I- I'm going with uh, three, Silvio Dante, played by Steve Van Zandt. I always thought that was an impression by Fred Armisen. Like he had the lips turned up. Like he was the typical mobster you see in the movies. I thought uh, Steve Van Zandt for, I think it was his first acting job. He just nailed it, man. It was, it was so good. So Silvio and Silvio to me was kind of the most level headed out of all of them. Like he tried to settle Tony down at times and Paulney Walnuts would uh, go off the rails and uh, Silvio and Christopher. So I thought Silvio was the, uh, the level headed guy, the most level headed. Uh, number two, I'm going with Dr. Jennifer Melfi played by Lorraine Bracco, who of course, was Henry Hill's wife in Goodfellas. So there's a really good mob connection. In one movie, she was on the uh, wife side, and on this movie, she was the therapist side. And what a great... Like, you could make a mob movie. You could make a mob series. But to have a therapy angle to it, where, you know, as if you watch the show, you'll learn that uh, therapy was not looked upon as a good thing when you were in the mob. Uh, but the the dynamic and the the back and forth and the good and bad between... The doctor and Tony, and you're always wondering, are, are, are they going to hook up? Are they not going to hook up? And there's some uh, sexual chemistry there, so you'll have to watch to find out what happens. But, you know, she went through a lot of different things, too. Her character changed a ton during the series. So I thought she was excellent, Lorraine Bracco, as uh, Dr. Jennifer Melfi. And listen, I, I'm not going with anybody, but Tony is number one. James Gandolfini, an absolute boss, like the ultimate boss uh, you know he takes care of business his own uh, with his own hands at times uh, he he gives orders he leads he he develops he is just you know and, and he also is going through a bunch of stuff it is in his personal life a lot of it brought on by himself but uh, James Gandolfini un- unfortunately like John Candy who we're going to take talk about later taken way way too soon um but he was uh, brilliant uh, absolute star and if you haven't seen The Sopranos, it is great. It is one of the first shows that really, really started a character development. So uh, I highly recommend you give it a try. I'm going with uh, Silvio, Dr. Jennifer Melfi, and Tony Soprano as my top three Soprano characters. <laughs> the tide's out, I'm in love with my lover. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Zigzags, loose change, and a brand new diamond ring. The bottom of a beach bag. That is the wonderful Sweet Bejesus, the official band of Sports and More. You can uh, check them out for more songs. That was Beach Bag. Uh, interesting song about a. Uh, Young man and his lady friend hanging out on the beach with something special about to happen and what takes place. It's uh, Kevin Dabbs and Christian Gutzis are the members of Sweet Bejesus. Uh, check them out on Apple Music. It's uh, definitely worth a download. All right, we're going to talk with Craig Button right now. And before we get to that, let's get to know Craig Button a little more. Time for the bio. 
Craig Button was born in Rochester, New York. His dad, Jack, founded the NHL Central Scouting Bureau, and his mom was former Maple Leaf GM Punch Imlach's secretary. His parents actually met at a Rochester Americans training camp. From Rochester, he moved to Amarillo, Texas, to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and at 12 years old to Montreal, Quebec, where he would graduate high school. He started as a scout in the NHL with the Minnesota North Stars in 1988, eventually becoming the team's director of scouting, and following the Stars to Dallas, where he would help build the 1999 Stanley Cup championship team as director of player personnel. In 2000, he was named vice president and GM of the Calgary Flames, putting together a good portion of the team that went to the 2004 Stanley Cup final. He's now the director of scouting for TSN and puts together the Craigslist throughout the year, ranking draft eligible players. Very pleased to uh, chat with this gentleman again. I used to chat with him every Tuesday when I was doing Sports Night. It's Craig Button from TSN, and you can follow him on Twitter at Craig J Button. Uh, first of all, Craig, thank you so much for joining us here on Sports and More, and uh, it is wonderful to talk to you again. Dean, it's always wonderful to talk to you, and uh, my pleasure to join you. So let's talk about Game 7. And, Craig, the only thing better than a Game 7 for the Stanley Cup Final, to me, is if it goes into overtime. Because that's the best theater in any sport. I don't care. I'll argue that till my death. How much are you looking forward to Game 7? Well, I mean, I mean, it's unbelievable when you think about it. You think about what a Game 7 means. And so this is the first one since 2011, uh, when, ironically, Boston was in it and won it in Vancouver. But, you know, when you talk about it, it's, it, when you said about overtime in a game seven, like, you know, it, isn't that what dreams are made of as a kid? You're the guy, you're the kid that scores the winning goal in game seven of the Stanley Cup final. That's what you dream about when you're, when you're playing outdoors and you're on the, on the rink and you're, and you got these, these visions of grandeur. But as a kid, they're, 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 they're not visions of grandeur. They're, they really are these big league dreams. And so, you know, if it does go to overtime, you know, and, and you think about Boston and you think about the great Bobby Orr goal, although that was in game four, that wasn't in a game seven, but it won the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And there's been a number of ones, you know, Brett Hall in 99 in game six, certainly Bobby Nystrom in game six in 1980, you know, first time Stanley Cups, you know, you get to a game seven, it's special, but if it ever, ever gets to overtime, wow, think about that. Yeah, I can't. I bet you I have uh, probably a thousand times in my uh, street hockey career uh, scored the game winning goal in overtime. You're exactly yep. right. That's what you grow up doing out on the street or the pond, uh, pretending you're so and so. You know, for me, it was like Cam Neely or Wayne Gretzky or whoever it was. But that's what that's what kids do. They do. And I mean, you're not dreaming of scoring a goal in November. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you're not dreaming of scoring the seventh goal in a in an eight two victory. You're you're dreaming of the winning goal in the Stanley Cup final, and you're right in overtime of Game Seven. I mean, I mean, and that really I think it speaks, uh, Dean, to to the way that hockey courses through the veins of young Canadians. And you know, as, as kids, it, it, it's it, it's what it's what connects our country, and, and because Canada is hockey and hockey is part of our lifeline and part of our lifeblood. You know, it doesn't matter where you are in, in, in this wonderful country. These are the dreams that are, that, that are being played out on, on all street hockey games on all outdoor rink games. And even in the, and even in the, in the inside, in the indoor rinks, this is what, and laying, laying in bed at night, I want to be that player that scores the winning goal in overtime. It, it really is special. 100%. And a question we're asking on 
today's episode is, you know, what would make a better movie, right? Because there's two really compelling stories in two different sports right now. So what would make a better movie? The Blues winning it all because they were in last. You have that glorious song where they, they went 29-9-5 after they started using that when they were all sitting around in a bar watching a football game and that brought them together. Craig Berube is a good story. Or the Raptors bringing an NBA championship north for the first time. Kawhi Leonard's buzzer beater versus Philly. The whole country getting past Jurassic Park. There's two really cool, compelling sports stories going on right now. What do you think would make the better movie? Geez, I mean, like you, you try to think about, uh, uh, you know, the St. Louis Blues going into Philadelphia, you know, to watch the Eagles play. And hooking up and, you know, Gloria plays and they start going. The coaching change, Jordan Bennington. And, hey, it, 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 it's a really neat little story and it would have a little, little backdrop. But to me, when you are a hockey country and you have this, this opportunity to win a championship uh, and, and the following that it has, uh, in basketball with the Raptors, like everything that's happened. I mean, from Masai Ujiri to the big trade for Kawhi Leonard to the four bounce, uh, basket against the, the 76ers in game seven at the buzzer. We talk about overtime beaters. I mean, that was at the buzzer and you, you just think how the whole country has, you know, really got behind the Raptors and, and, and the mania that's going on. I mean, it, it's Jurassic park right across the country, as neat as the St. Louis Blues story is, Toronto Maple Leafs fans don't really care about the St. Louis Blues. And Winnipeg Jets fans don't really care about the St. Louis Blues. And Calgary Flames fans and Edmonton Oilers fans, they don't really care about the St. Louis Blues. It's fair to say that everybody cares about the Toronto Raptors. And I think that for that reason and, you know, the, the notoriety that it has and, you know, something that everybody in Canada can celebrate, and not everybody, and very few people in the United States would celebrate a St. Louis Blues win. Uh, I, I think that the Raptors, and, and I certainly don't want to put it on a on a, on as large a scale because you know the 1980 USA Olympics gold medal at the Olympics was was huge, but because it was the country and because they were kind of underdogs, I think that that's why the Raptors would be a bigger, better movie. Yeah, the one thing I will say about the uh, Blues movie is that uh, that Gloria scene could be really cool in the bar, how they all come together. But you're right, there's nothing like a whole country getting behind something similar to the Blue Jays in the early 90s when the World Series flew north of the border uh, for the first time. When yeah. you Go ahead, Craig. Let me just add, let me just add, I just want to add this one thing, Dean. Uh, you know, when you think about it too, though, like, you know, we didn't know a lot about the 1980 USA Olympic team, right? right? But as you found out about it and you found out how Herb Brooks and the challenges and how we challenge players, right? And you have to imagine that, like, you think about Kawhi Leonard, okay? So there's not a lot known about Kawhi Leonard. What could we learn in a movie from about Kawhi Leonard? I mean, the load management. What was Masai Ujiri thinking? How was it all coming together you know, you know, they trade for Marcus Saul, you know, what was Kyle Lowry thinking when they traded his great friend, DeMar DeRozan? Like, I mean, to me, it, 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 there's so much there that like we could, we could pull back the curtain. I don't know if there's so much to be pulled back on the curtain of the St. Louis blues. We, we seem to know the story. Very good point. Craig Button from TSN is joining us here on sports and more today. You can follow him on Twitter at Craig J Button. Who do you like for uh, Con Smythe favorites as we head into game seven, Craig? 
Yeah, for, for me, Dean, and you know, I'm, I'm sure there's uh, there's some other players. To me, it's really clear. If the Boston Bruins win, Tuka Rask, and if the St. Louis Blues win, Jordan Bennington. And I'll give you, I'll tell you why. I'll go to Tuka Rask first. Tuka Rask down three-two against the Toronto Maple Leafs in round one. They win two straight, including game six on the road in Toronto, an important win. Second round. They're down two games to one against the Columbus Blue Jackets, and the Blue Jackets are rolling. They're in Columbus for game four, essentially what I feel is a, is a critical, critical game. Tuka Rask wins that game plus two more. So now that's 5-0 and as, as he run, when their team is behind. Now there was really no challenges against the uh, Carolina Hurricanes. And then last night, it's win or your season's over. On the road, he wins again. I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive for me, what, what Tuka Rask has done uh, in that situation. I go to Jordan Binnington on the St. Louis Blues. They're up 2 nothing, leaving Winnipeg. They lose two games at home. Now it seems like Winnipeg has the series under control. What happens? St. Louis goes in there. Binnington's great. They win game five. They win game six. Now they're down 2-1 or 3-2 against the Dallas Stars. They got to go in. They got booed off home ice in game five. They go into Dallas, they have to win. Bennington, terrific, wins, double overtime, 2-0. and Now they're down 2-1 against the San Jose Sharks at home. They go back to San Jose down 3-1, it's over. Not only do they win game four at home, they win the next two. And then, you know, you think about being down two games to one against the Boston Bruins at home. Another critical game, if they lose that game down 3-1, I don't think they got any chance to win. He wins that game. To me, it's not just what they've done. They each have 15 wins in the playoffs. It's, it's when they've done it and the challenges they face. And that's why I think, you know, I know Ryan O'Reilly's had a really nice little final. It's not just about, he's had a good playoff. I, I know his final's been really good and everybody gets on that bandwagon. But to me, without Bennington, the Blues aren't where they're at. And without Tuka Ross, the Bruins aren't where they're at. So that's why I have those two uh, as, the, as the, for me, the clear-cut favorites for their respective teams. You know, heading into the final, I thought Jaden Schwartz was going to be one of those guys, but uh, his goal scoring has disappeared in the final. And, you know, that sometimes that happens in, in the playoffs. But uh, you're right. It's clearly going into the final, there were a number of candidates. And I think going into game seven, there's clearly two. You're right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and, and like, again, we, we can make a case. I, I think Petrangelo has been, has been terrific. You know, I, I think Tory Krug, we know how good he's been. I mean, it's not like there's there's not other candidates, but I but I think those two, uh, Rask and Bennington, stand stand apart from the rest of them. And you know, when you you think about Tuka Rask save percentage, you think about you know a rookie goaltender in Bennington. If they if St. Louis wins Game Seven, and 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 I don't know, like this would be one of the interesting things I'd like to find out. That would be his 40th win of this calendar year. I like I don't know if like from January one to an end of a season like in like Stanley Cup has there ever been a goaltender that's won forty games in in, in that span of time I don't know I mean yeah that's the, uh... the record is like I mean I mean fifty wins in an NHL season like you know we know that there were high forties he he would have won forty forty games <laughs> yeah it's 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 a pretty amazing story when you really dissect. Uh the different things that have contributed for the St. Louis Blues. Uh-huh. Um, and some of the sa- some of the saves that these goalies have made, like the Tuka Rask save the, the last night where it rolled, or, rolled around is amazing. But as exciting as these playoffs have been, Craig, will they 
be known for more uh, more for missed calls uh, than excitement. You know, you have the how Vegas ended, the hand pass. There's been some really giant blunders. Or has the hockey overcome the missed calls? Yeah, you, you know, when you get to the end, Dean, I, I think when you get to the end, it does become a celebration of, of what unfolded and, and everything. But I, I, I think to put uh, the officiating uh, mishaps uh, on the back burner would be a mistake. And, and, and I think that it, that, that it will. Uh, not only, it's much like the Los Angeles Rams pass interference in the, in the, in the NFC conference game, uh, conference championship game. You know what? Okay, so the LA Rams moved on. But it, it, it didn't go away, and, 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 and it shouldn't have gone away. And, and there was an impetus now to look at video review and what more could be done. And I think that's the same thing that's happened here with the playoffs. So it, 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 we're going to crown a champion on Wednesday, and that'll be great, and the story will be wonderful regardless of who, whoever it is. But the other story is not one that can be easily dismissed, nor should it be. And I don't think uh, Gary Bettman, it, I don't think he's not going to dismiss it. And, you know, the officials, they want to get the calls right now. We can debate like a, a, a call on Tyler Bozak. I mean, there's calls that get missed that led to a goal. But I think that the Pavelski play, the hand pass, those types of things, that's where there becomes an impetus for these missed calls to, for a real examination of where we can be better. When I say we, uh, hockey and the NHL, in terms of helping the officials. It's not about eliminating human error, Dean. It's about helping the officials because they get one opportunity in real time to make the call. That's what they get. And, you know, how can we help them? You know, everybody's got some ideas. Everybody's got ideas. And there's a lot of good ideas out there. And, you know, what do they mean and everything that goes with it. But one of the things that I think and – you know, with, with ex, not ex-officials, but with former officials, officials that can't skate as well, that have to retire, why don't we put a third official up in the stands, up in the sky, and give them the same power to call penalties? We'll have three officials. And that guy just buzzes and goes up, two minutes tripping, whatever. Or uh, you high sticks, you're going to call a high sticking penalty, and by the time that referee gets to the penalty box, he gets a call from the upstairs official and says, it was, it was his teammate that caught him. And so you go, okay, good, no penalty, right? Those are the types of areas that I would like to see explored and discussed because, uh, you know, again, we're not going to, we're not going to forget about what happened in these playoffs, but we need to learn from them. I think that's a perfect idea, actually, to have another eye in the sky. All right, before we get to the can Edmonton Oilers. Can I just Oilers, add one thing to that, Dean, too? You can, yeah. So, but, th- but think about it, like, like great officials, like the Bill McCreary's of the world and the Kerry Frazier's of the world and the Dan Marrelli's of the world, right? Like great officials, right? Okay, so I get that they can't skate as well as they once did, right? So, okay, great. But they still know what it's like to be on the ice. They have great judgment. They know what to follow. Let's have them up there. We're going to have great experience and it's going to help the officials on the ice and I think help the game. I couldn't agree more. Okay, quickly, before we get to the Oilers, who gets the cup from Gary Bettman on Wednesday? Is it Chara or Petrangelo? Give us a quick prediction. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. So you're asking me. So here, here's where I've been at. Okay. I said at the beginning of the series that this was a pick series. I really did. I don't think anybody's surprised this is going seven. But at the same time, but at, you have to put a stake in the ground. And I felt that at the beginning of it, by the slightest of margins, 
that the Boston Bruins would win the Stanley Cup. And, you know, if St. Louis wins, it's, it, it won't surprise me. But I, I'm going to stick with Boston. I, I, I picked Boston. From, from the onset of the second round, I've had Boston uh, going on. I've had Boston and St. Louis in the Stanley Cup final, and I had Boston winning. So uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing to lead me away from Boston. There's certainly nothing to lead me away from St. Louis, but I, I'm going to stick with Boston. And you know what? I, I, I forget what it was like in 2011, but you know what? I, I want to see that picture of, of Chara holding the cup over his head. And, and Commissioner Bettman standing there, I'd like I want to get that kind of juxtaposed. Yeah, it's like uh, Devito and Schwarzenegger it in is. Uh, Twins, right? <laughs> <laughs> you got the the Giants. All right, let's talk about the uh, Oilers, Craig. The overhaul has happened or is happening. Ken Holland, Dave Tippett are in. Uh, several people are no longer in the organization. You and I talked at length about this uh, during our uh, stint on uh, TSN Radio. How big of a mountain does the Holland Tippett train have staring at them right now? Well, Kenny has uh, made it very clear. Good pieces, but there's some work to be done. And there's a lot of work to be done. And I think that Ken, like I think that when you look at where the Oilers are at, a brilliant player in Connor McDavid, a, a top-end player in dry side. I, I thought Nugent Hopkins was a really good player. Pieces around them. And, and like, you know, Kleppbaum's a solid player. And we know that uh, Adam Larson's a solid player. And, and, and there's other players around him, but Every team in the league, Dean, has five or six good players. And in the case of the Orders, they, they have arguably the best player on the planet. But that being said, you've got to support them, and you've got to get more around them to, to alleviate the burden on them and, and to give yourself more of a chance to, to beat teams. Because other teams with depth and, and, and with more around their, their key players are going to have better success. And I think that's the challenge for Ken Holland. Now, for Ken, keep this in mind. He started with the Detroit Red Wings first as a player in the minors, but then into the scouting. He understood that they had eyes on him. He, he was there when he started to scout there. Uh, he was there as, as they went through those different challenges of building the team and how they had to support the team in different ways. And, you know, it wasn't just one big leap. It was like, okay, we need to add this player in free agency. We get this player. But it was always with the idea of where they wanted to go and where they needed to get to. It didn't come without some stumbles. It didn't come without some great disappointments. But ultimately, the process and how they went step-by-step and understanding where they were at each each step along the way led them to becoming a model franchise in all of sport, not just in hockey. Ken Holland understands that. And I think that that alone to give Edmonton Oilers fans every reason for optimism. Ken has said it. It's not just one move. It's going to be a move, a move, a move, a move, a move. And that's what you want to do. The other thing that I love what Kenny has said, he said, it's up to us to, to gain the fans' confidence. And it's up to us to gain the fans' trust. And so you have to do that. It was no different in Detroit. Detroit. Detroit was a great franchise that fell on hard, hard times. And then they became a model franchise. The Edmonton Oilers, brilliant franchise, have fallen on hard times. There's no reason that done the right way and with Ken and Dave Tippett at the helm that that can't happen. There's been a lot of talk about Jesse Pugliarvi and the future and a lot of speculation. 
Um, he obviously wants to play in the NHL. What do you think uh, is, is is there a good outcome to be had between the Oilers and Yessi Pugliarvi, or do you think that they're going to have to uh, cut bait and, and go in a different direction? What are your thoughts on this? Because this this has been a very polarizing uh, conversation in Edmonton over the last year. Yeah, and and and, and fair enough. I, uh, you know, you're the you're the fourth overall pick, and you come with a lot of promise, and certainly. Uh, you know, yes, he is frustrated about the way things have unfolded and, and certainly fans and, and people within the organization are frustrated. He, here's what I think has to happen. Ken Holland, Dave Tippett have to go and sit with Jesse Pugliarvi. These are people that know the game, that know, uh, you know, where the type of player he is. Ken's very familiar with him. Dave will be as well. And then you try to sit down with the player and try to understand, okay, what are your frustrations? Here's how we can help you. Here's how we want to help you. Maybe they don't. Maybe they don't feel that 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 it is a situation that can be resolved. But you have to go sit with the player and hear him, and 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 then you got to be able to convey to him what you feel is important for him to understand and where you feel you can help him. Because to just discard players is, is never a good exercise. You're going to make more mistakes than not because the things have gone awry. They didn't go awry under Ken Holland. They didn't go awry under Dave Tippett. But what you have to do is, is you have to be able to go and convince the player that we're going to help you and we're going to help you be good. And, and then obviously, like, like I talk about with the fans showing them, Hey, it's up to us to show the fans and, and to give them confidence and for, for, to regain their trust. Same thing with the player. And I think those are the first steps. And uh, Ken Holland's patient. I don't think he's going to be looking, oh, I got to get rid of Jesse Pugliarvi. And you certainly, if you believe that he has untapped potential, and I think a lot of people do believe that, then then you got to you got to put the work in with them and I think that's an important one to do. For sure. And the NHL draft is uh coming up very shortly in uh, just over a week. It seems like it's uh, Jack Hughes and then Capo Caco and I don't know uh when it gets muddy, but uh the Oilers are picking 8th. So where do you think the draft starts getting a little bit uh, muddy as far as uh not locked in guys and what are some names you think will be there for the Oilers that would be a good fit at 8? I don't think it gets muddy at eight at all. I, I think that I, I don't think the orders can go wrong at eight. I really don't. And and and, and, I'll, and I'll go through it with you quick. If they want to take a defenseman, I don't think they can go wrong. If they want to take a center, I don't think they can go wrong. If they want to take a winger, I don't think they can go wrong. And if they want to take Spencer Knight, who I think is the number one goaltender, has got it written all over him, I don't think they can go wrong. So what does it say? It means they've got lots of options at eight. And I think lots of really good options. So when you consider where the Oilers are at, I, we talk about adding players. So they drafted Bouchard last year at, at, at 10. Sam Rukoff looks like an A prospect the way he's developed. And I think Ken Holland would absolutely uh, concur with that. So now you've got a couple more defensemen in there. So when you're trying to add players at critical positions and you're trying to add skill, the opportunity is going to be there for the Edmonton Oilers. And so if you want to look at, at, at those U.S. national team development program players, you know, Matthew Boldy, he's a, he's a really good left winger. reminds me of Rantanen. We know about Cole Caulfield and his goal-scoring exploits. You know, Alex Turcotte is a really good, strong center iceman. And we can look at uh, the Edmonton Oilers and say, oh, well, they got lots of center icemen. You know, add players. Just add good players. And, and you know what? You're going to have an opportunity. Now, if you think that a, 
a winger or a defenseman or even a goalie fits your what you want better, well then you you have that option. And you know, there's you know, do, do you want uh, the goaltender? I, you know, if you don't draft a goaltender, and I know there's lots of talk, and 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 I and I've talked about this uh, quite a bit, Dane, uh, uh, about goaltenders. There's so much talk about drafting a goaltender in the first round and how you know there's a risk to it and everything. And I ask you, and and you know, because you know goaltender, and everybody goes, well, just take a goaltender later on in the draft. You'll have his chance. Tell me what goaltenders are playing in the NHL for the team that drafted them after the second round. Mm-hmm. There's probably not a lot. There isn't. So, so you know what? So you're not going to draft a goal in the first round because it's risky, but to, and, and you're going to base it on the fact that you know what? Well, look, you can draft a goalie in the middle rounds or after the second round. I say after the second round. Well, just don't count them. There's not that many. Yeah. I, so I, to me, if you like goaltenders, and there's top the, the players that get drafted are top players in their respective leagues. And the, and the players that have a tough time translating to the NHL over history, we're all top players. But, and those are the guys that, 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 that don't find a way in the NHL. It's not, it's not weak players. But if you go through the assessment and you watch the players and you believe that this player fits for you, then get after them and celebrate it. And understand, here's the timeline, here's where we're at, right? So that's how I look at it. So... Like I mentioned before, national team development program players. I mean, Thomas Harley, a, a great skating defenseman, reminds me of Shabbat. Uh, Hamp, uh, Philip Broberg, uh, the best skating uh, defenseman in the draft and the second best skating player after Jack Hughes, in my opinion. You know, perhaps like Hampus Lindholm down in, in Anaheim. You know, that type of player. I mentioned Spencer Knight. You know, could it be Dylan Cousins? Could it be Kirby Dock? I mean, those are, could it be Peyton Krebs? I mean, one of the things that the Oilers are up against, uh, and I don't say up against it, because I don't say that, and I don't want to make that in a negative way, but Drysaddle's a center, McDavid's a center, Nugent Hawkins is a center. Now, it looks like Drysaddle might settle in nicely on the left wing, but a lot of centers in this draft. (laughs) So, you know, that's why you might just have to say, hey, wait a second, we don't care. We're just going to get a good player and we'll work from there. Because, I don't think there's a player at eight that's going to come and step into their lineup. Well, yeah, it, it, I don't think under Ken Holland that's going to happen unless uh, something miraculous happens for sure. All right, I want to get to know Craig Button a little bit better with your backstory. And, and I love doing this in this uh, longer format podcast because I can get to know and tell people some history. We had Kelly McCrimmon on the first episode, and uh, he was talking about how after Michigan he was going to go back and farm. And can you imagine if that great NHL career would have never happened? But uh, your your hockey life seemed destined to happen. Uh, you, you started with the North Stars in 88. But you go back, your dad was a GM of the Penguins and he started the NHL Central Scouting Bureau and your mom, an even cooler story, was once Punch Imlac's secretary, so the Leafs. So uh, I'd imagine you probably always wanted to be involved in hockey somehow from, from a young age. You're right. And, and, and I, have to, I have to make my comment about Kelly. If Kelly would have gone back to farming, he would have been a great farmer. You're right. You're right. They're right. <laughs> anyway, that being said... You know, you grew up, we talked about early, you, you know, you talk about, you know, growing up as a kid in Canada and, and you know, you're, you're around hockey, but you dream of being a player. You don't dream of being a coach. You don't dream of being a manager or a scout. You dream of being a player. But as, as time goes on, there's certain realities that come into place for you and you start to go, okay, yeah, I guess I'm not going to be able to be a player, right? 
but you have a passion for the game and you have a love for the game. And I, and I, you're right. I was very fortunate. You know, my dad was in hockey, you know, I was around it all the time. And so call it the family business. It was something, okay, yeah, this is something I'd like to try. This is something I'd like to do. So I did do it. And I got really lucky. I, I, I did. I ended up with some wonderful people in Minnesota, you know, Jack Ferreira hired me and then, you know, Les Jackson. I mean, uh, I mean, I, I can't say enough about Les Jackson single-handedly the most influential person in hockey for me, you know, outside of my parents in terms of helping me, guiding me, understanding me. I mean, I just can't say enough about what, what less and, and I was flat out lucky. How do you end up? You don't just get to pick sometimes where you go. You, 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 you go somewhere and then you get really lucky because of people like that. And then Bob Clark comes in and Bob Ganey comes in and we end up hiring Ken Hitchcock and Doug Jarb. That just becomes a great, great environment. So for me, really, really fortunate uh, to be in some good situations. And, and I remind people, when I started with the Minnesota North Stars, worst team in the National Hockey League, right. worst team. So you start someplace, sometimes it's not going to be in a, in, in a situation that, that looks promising or, or, or is, or is a, a place that people would look at and go, geez, oh boy, oh, you got to start there. But it's an opportunity to dig in and be part of something and to try to build it. And, and we did do that with the Minnesota franchise. It became Dallas and we won the Stanley cup. And, and again, like Doug Armstrong, who, who's the manager in St. Louis. I mean, he was with us. We, we got, we got lucky Dean. When we moved down, when Bob Ganey became uh, GM and coach, he was the coach. When Bob Clark left, he became the GM. You know, Bob, that the, the coaching office, the coaching demands took up 90% of his time. But Bob understands the business extremely well. He knew that there was lots of other areas that had to be handled. And so there was Les Jackson and Doug Armstrong and myself and, and others that he just said, okay, here's what we got to have done. Let's, you guys are going to do it. So we got tons of hands-on experience and we got to do it. And, and that, we were really fortunate because of that, uh, because of that scenario. But back to, you know, where, where my, you know, my dad worked with David Poyle for a long time and, went through a bankruptcy in, in Pittsburgh. Uh, and, and that's how he ended up with the national hockey league starting central scouting because of handling that bankruptcy. And then Clarence Campbell said, well, we are starting central scouting. I want you to start it. So when I think about my life in hockey and I think about being able to go in as a kid, well, obviously I'd love to do it if I was a little bit older, but times when I sat with Clarence Campbell and, you know, going through, these great hockey minds and not just great hockey minds and great hockey people, but great people. I, I, I feel incredibly blessed and inc incredibly fortunate for, for what I've been able uh, to do over the course of, of a very long time. Well, the, the education you received from not only your parents, but um, you know, you were telling me before we got in there about Al Arbor and, and growing up around these guys. So uh, what you didn't learn from your parents, you maybe learned from other guys from spending time at the rinks. Well, you do. And, 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 you know, when you're a younger kid, some of it is by osmosis and you just kind of go and you watch them. And, you know, I think about Al Arbor and the great Al Arbor, and he was playing in Rochester when my dad was there. And I mean, even, even when, when I got older and was around and working and Al Arbor to the end, call, always called me, Hey, you snotty nosed little brat. Cause that's what <laughs> I was as a little kid coming to the rink. That's how he always said that, that was the first words out of his mouth to me. And, you know, as time goes on and you, and you got to spend time talking to Al Arbor and you got to hear how he handled players and how he handled teams and the trials and tribulations, those are all 
those are all learning opportunities. And, you know, if you, you keep your ears open and you pay attention to, to people that have had great success, it's a, it's a, it's a really good education. And like I said to you, incredibly fortunate to be around some incredibly uh, smart and very, very generous people, people that want to give you your time and really took an interest in you and trying to help you be better. You know, I, 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 I pinch myself sometimes thinking how lucky I am. Well, and I like the synergy a little bit in your career. You're in Dallas and uh, you are Minnesota and then Dallas and you help them win a cup. And to, to win that cup, you trade Jerome McGinley. And then you go to Calgary and become the GM and you have a Jerome McGinley. So you get the best of both worlds. And I wonder when you look up, you weren't there for the 04 cup run, but I think there's got to be a sense of satisfaction from you because you had so much to do with building that team that went on that incredible run. Is that the way you look at it? Yeah. You, you, you know, Dean, it's, it's interesting. And, and you know what, you, you do get a, a, a great sense of satisfaction from knowing what you did and, I, you know, we went through a lot of different trials and tribulations in Minnesota, team being sold, team moving, new owner, you know, different, different challenges. And and, and we emerged on the other side of it, successful, like really successful. So again, you go through it. And when I came to Calgary, an incredibly wonderful opportunity. Uh, And I really felt that it was one that, uh, you know, I, you cared about, you had a history here. And so you come in with the same idea that you want to build it and you want to do things the right way. And I mean, I think everybody would say that you want to do it the right way, but you know, so much of the time you get judged on records and I get it. That's professional sport. You look at the record and everything, but I, I do have a real sense of pride and, and a real strong sense of pride for what I did. And, and there's so many things that we did off the ice in terms of trying to get the organization, you know, really, uh, what, what I would say it, it, it was synergies, working together, because the, the owners here in Calgary, wonderful people, wonderful, generous uh, to the city, Harley Hotchkiss, Doc Seaman, BJ Seaman, Murray Edwards, so many of them. And the, the NHL had changed, the CBA, the economics of the league had changed, and they, they cared so much about the city and the team and they, they were faced with so many new different challenges. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like trying to, you know, you got the dike and holes keep popping up in it and you, you only got so many hands and you're, you're, you're trying to get your finger in one dike and then the other one leaks and you got things like that. And so I really feel that it was really uh, a, a, a real strong effort by a lot of people to create the synergies between the off ice, the on ice, the, the, the finances, everything that went with it. And, th- and those are things that never show up anywhere. But I feel incredibly proud of that, as well as trying to make sure that you could take the team and move it forward. And, you know, I, I, I say this often, I, you know, I would be remiss in not mentioning Al Coates because, you know, they, 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 they put me in place of Al Coates. But Al Coates did a lot of good work, too. Uh, leading up to that old four Stanley Cup final. And I, I tell them that all the time. I said, you know, we both should, you know, hold our heads high because we both uh, did significant work to help them get to that point. And you certainly can't dismiss what Daryl Sutter did because, uh, you know, as a coach, I mean, I thought it, that was a really key, key uh, acquisition in addition to the group. Great stuff, Craig. Thanks so much for joining me today. It was a real pleasure to chat with you again. Enjoy game seven. And of course, Uh, Go Raptors tonight. Thanks as always, Craig. Yeah, thank you, Dean. And we'll do this again. It was the best of times. 
It was the worst of times. This is best or worst. Best or worst, where I tell you the best of something that's ever happened to me or the worst of something. I flipped a coin, went with worst again, so... I dug this up from my childhood, the worst first goal in hockey. So my very first goal, I was five years old, came on my own net. Sportsplex in Brandon, again, five years old, first year of hockey, scramble in front of my own net, and I backhanded in. And then cheered. And then realized what I did and cried. First goal ever, and it it was, I think it was near the end of the year. Like, I don't think I had came close to scoring a goal that I remember that year. Near the end of the season, I finally get one. I actually cheer, and then I realize my, my teammates are like, what are you doing? You scored on your own net. Was not a uh, not a good situation. Now, a year later, I scored a goal on the other team, but it was about 20 seconds after the whistle had gone. The play stopped. I grabbed the puck in my own end and made a beeline for the other net. Now, the ref couldn't have been trying very hard to catch me. I was I was five years old, six years old at this point. Um, so I did score over the goalie's pad, who double pad stacked. Nice. Cheers to him. And then again, I celebrated. This time with no crying, and even when my coach told me it didn't count, it did in my books. Uh, I think I can tell you I have probably scored less than 10 goals in any kind of organized game in, in my whole life. I started playing goal when I was seven. And uh, have very rarely played out. The, the couple of times I did play out, like I, I would get called for hooking. It was so bad, my stick was hooked into the guy's arm. Like I was, it was obvious I would go offside. I was a terrible forward, wasn't a great skater, uh, and I loved playing goal. So I never scored a whole lot of goals. But that is the uh, worst first goal in hockey, and that was best or worst. New segment now. It's called Goalie Geek Out, and uh, as you will hear. It will be accompanied by the song Pele from Sweet Bejesus, which is actually written in heartfelt fashion about Pele Lindbergh. Uh, you can uh, hear the song on Apple Music. Check out Sweet Bejesus. That's a uh, sweet. And then B apostrophe Jesus. And uh, you can hear the song Pele, as you will hear it now, as I discuss Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pele. <laughs> So the first goalies I'm going to discuss today, and keep in mind, this is my opinion of these guys when I was a kid. I'm not so petty anymore when it comes to goalies, but Goalie Geek Out, accompanied by Pelly, goes like this. I'm going to tell you about a goalie I loved when I was a kid and maybe one I wasn't such a fan of. And these two guys are connected. Uh, I'm going with Andy Moog, who is my all-time favorite goalie. If you've ever listened to me on any radio show or TV, I always talk about this guy. Loved him, uh, followed his career, went from Edmonton to Boston to Dallas to Montreal. And uh, I have my own wall of fame dedicated to Andy Moog in uh, this studio, looking directly at it with some jerseys, cards, and things like that. So I was a big Moog fan. And by the way, Andy Moog was drafted in 1980, June 11th, which is tomorrow. So the anniversary of Moog's draft coming up tomorrow with the Edmonton Oilers in 1980. 
I loved, he was small, I was a small kid. And um, if you look at the numbers between Fuhr and Moog, it's pretty close in the regular season. Obviously, Grant Fuhr played a lot more in the playoffs, but uh, the numbers are pretty close, and there were a few seasons where Moog actually played more games than Grant Fuhr. Um, I loved, uh, he was pretty good at the kick save. Uh, he was pretty feisty at, at times. Um, I just was a, a really big fan of him. I don't know what it was, uh, but I was always a lifelong Andy Moog fan. The guy I was not a fan of as a kid, Grant Fuhr. And this is the reason. And this is like, think back, think of like 12-year-old Dean giving you this reason. Because Fuhr always played when I would go to watch the Oilers in Winnipeg. I would go watch the Jets. Yeah, I'd get to see Gretzky, and that was great. But I wanted to see Moog. Like, I was there to see Moog, and Fuhr played every time. And then Reggie Lemlin played. Like, it wasn't until Andy Moog was in Dallas that I got to see him live in Winnipeg. So, for a long time, I held that against Grand Fuhr. Now, I've met Grand Fuhr uh, a few times. I actually have one of his replica masks in this studio. He is an awesome guy. Uh, if I could go back and tell 12-year-old Dean, lay off Grand Fuhr, he's a great guy. He is a good dude. But he played all the time. He wasn't my favorite goalie, so I was uh, upset with Grant Fuhr all the time. In fact, 1986, I would go to school the next day and say, uh, first of all, that the Oilers scored a goal that the NHL didn't count, which obviously clearly didn't happen. I just made that up because I couldn't take the, that the Flames would beat the Oilers. And secondly, I would say, if Moog was in net, that wouldn't have happened, which is ridiculous because Grant Fuhr is one of the best money goaltenders of all time. So goalie I loved, Andy Moog. Golia that I maybe wasn't such a big fan of, that would be Grant Fuhr. This has been Goalie Geek Out. Enjoy the rest of Pele. been an interesting journey for the Edmonton Oilers and for their fans. Um, we often talk about, and we did on uh, a sports night in the, the post-game show, about the plight of the Oilers and do players want to come here and will they be able to attract a coach? And, you know, a lot of times we didn't talk about what is the fan going through? And during my time on 1260, I hosted the post-game show, the pre-game show and sports night. And there was one particular caller when we used to take a lot of calls and that's somewhat died out now in the radio business but he would call in and I'm thinking he was uh um playing on flattery because his name was Moog mostly overly optimistic guy is is what I remember it being and I'm a big Andy Moog fan so I kind of took to it right away and he, he became a bit of a lightning rod in the uh, post-game shows at times some people really liked him some people really did not like him at all uh, and then he went away and we didn't hear from him for, I don't think we even heard from him once last year on the uh, post game show, unless it was after I was let go, but I have actually tracked down mostly overly optimistic guy to get the, the plight of the fan over the last 12, 13 years and the viewpoint now, firstly, welcome to the show Moog and tell us where you were for the last year. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Diener. This, this is awesome. This is awesome. I'm loving Podcast Alley. Thank you. Great studio you got set up here. Very cool looking with all the sports memorabilia. Um, you will get your picture with Greta before you leave. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
Absolutely. That's wicked. The old Coca-Cola height measurement, Wayne Gretzky with the, the LA Kings. He certainly looks taller than he does in real life on that uh, board. Like they tell yeah. you to post it 15 centimeters from the floor. I don't think Gretter is 6'8". Gretter's not that tall. I've met him in person. I, I went to like a breakfast thing in Red Rail, Alberta one time that you, pay, you paid $999. Solid. Some of the people paid $199 just to be at the breakfast where he spoke. Kelly Chase was one of the... Uh, nice. He kind of sits up there and then talks to Wayne during the you know hours or so that they talked. It's like a round table kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, really cool. Um, but did you see? Yeah, did you see Gretter in St. Louis there? And like, he's really good friends with Kelly Chase. Of course. Who's is he the announcer? Is he the he's color a, guy? A color commentator, color analyst. Apparently, yeah. he had tears in his eyes when they when they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals. How could you not? Oh yeah, man! Like that's such it's such a feel good story for the city of St. Louis. Yeah. Um, so anyway, back to you. Where have you been? Well, this is and, a good this okay. is a good tie in as an Oilers fan, actually, man, sure. because with the the LA that was such a huge event. In my childhood, yours as well, I'd assume. Anybody of a certain vintage of a certain age, if you were alive when Wayne Gretzky got traded, it was one of those days you'll always remember. Like, like I was camping with my mom and my sisters and I got back to our trailer and my mom said that Wayne Gretzky had just been traded. And I'm like probably a 12 year old. That's interesting that you would know that camping because there was no internet back then. Like how did she know? She had a little black and white TV going and she was watching and it was on the news, right? There was no internet that you're right. There was just newspapers and, but people just couldn't believe it. And I guess it was different times in sports and, and, but I mean, it'd be like Connor McDavid getting traded at the peak of his. Oh, for sure. I'll tell you the, the Brandon son was about two to three hours late in being delivered that day in yeah. the uh, East end area of Rideau. They had to hold and, the presses? Uh, Franklin. No, because I was inside, I was delivering the papers and I was inside watching this Gretzky stuff. Oh, right. And my papers were delivered three hours late because I couldn't believe what was going on. Were you watching the press conference? Yeah, it was, it was, it was my, me and my brother and my cousin. Yeah. Uh, he was over for some reason. We were in my parents' bedroom watching it, just dumbfounded. Yeah. So. I promised mass I wouldn't do this. Yeah. So we'll mass. get you a picture with uh, him before you leave, but let's get back to you. You were active, uh... On the uh, the post-game scene as a yes. caller, and then you disappeared for well, a while. Well, I loved your show, first of all. I loved the pre-game show. I loved the post-game show. Um, 6.30 Chad had the rights to the game, but I think there was a lot of listeners that were, were listening to 12.60 to listen to your show before the game and after the game, right? And yeah, sometimes I'd call in on the pre-game show, sometimes on the post-game show, but yeah, as the mostly overly optimistic guy, and when, when the mostly over, when I was calling in, it was, it was when I'd call in the pregame show, you remember I would predict who would win and yeah. every time I'd predict the others. Right? You were was, the most optimistic guy at one point. And at the time it was already like into the darkness of like the decade of darkness. But there was McDavid. No, this is pre-McDavid. Like, oh. Like this is like the Taylor Hall and Eberly years, right? And they were supposed to be getting better and it just, they weren't. And, and the fans were already, I mean, you saw it, right? The negativity that has crept in to the Oilers nation you know, over the years, it's just, it's like a, an abusive relationship. How could it not? How could it not be with like, they literally are. I mean, if you look at the numbers on wins and losses, they have the, the, the worst win loss record, I think in all of pro sports over the last, if you take the last 10, 12 years or whatever, whatever chunk it is. Right. So yeah, that's going to wear on the fan base, but, but you know, it was fun to always still predict a win mm-hmm. and be optimistic so about it. At the, that point, you were still 
uh, very disappointed as an Oiler fan, but still somewhat optimistic. And then th- at some point that optimism vanished and you were like the opposite of both. I couldn't do it anymore, man. It's like they, they, I just couldn't do it anymore. Just the way the, the things were being run. And like for years, everybody's complained about this old boys club that these guys, they don't get fired. They, 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 instead of getting fired for doing a bad job, if you worked for the Oilers, you would get promoted is, mm-hmm. is what was happening. And well, the silliest thing ever was when Peter Schiarelli came in and didn't get rid of the people that put them in the situation they are in currently and we're in like oh. if you if you buy a new store are you going to keep the management around that yeah. that ran it into the ground no why would you do that in but any even, business but even prior to that rewind about another three years or so and it was the the press conference with the six rings where kevin Lowe leaned into the mm-hmm. microphone because the the because here he is to announce a new gm and it's craig mctavish and the local media are obviously questioning it going this guy has no general manager experience. He he once coached this team, and then for the last however many years, he's done nothing. Yeah, the way the way he acted in in oh. that, and that that's probably one of his biggest regrets. Absolutely, but the, the way he acted in that press conference. That's a crock of crap. It, it really was. Uh, like <laughs> yeah. he, he he was over the line, and I'm oh. sure he he regrets it. Um, he listen. I will say this. In the time you were calling in, I think you have like somewhat of an unhealthy obsession with Kevin Lowe, though. You did, oh, you sure, did man. have some anger management issues with Kevin Lowe, yeah, but man, I, he's, he has, he's the he, joker. He's he the, is the most successful GM since Slats that this organization has ever had. And, and based you could on, say, based on success. Based on, because he got that team to the Stanley Cup final that year? Or? Yeah, based on that, he made some really good trades that year. You yeah. can't, you can't, you, if you compare him to Tambellini, Chiarelli, and McTavish, He's been the best out of all four. Now, it's yep. not a lot to live up to, but it, he did the most w- out of any of them. He made some really bad mistakes. I'm not going to... Uh, yeah, before he was finished, he had he, really yeah, sunk he, the ship. He, yeah, he, he had some problems And instead of end. getting fired, he yeah. got promoted. And that's well, he, what happened. He Then he got taken out of hockey operations. So, so they say. No, but those old boys... He is. He's not making any hockey decisions. Right. So anyway, he, he doesn't ever talk to those other guys. Like there's no, no talk, but, and they don't talk about the team. But he doesn't, he doesn't have any say in, in what the decision is. He his can, opinion. He can give his opinion. I but, believe that his opinion is still being heard. He, okay. they, they all talk, they sit around and they talk about the team. Yeah. Well, how I, could you not? Yeah. But his opinion, he's not in any decision-making process. God, I hope not. So it would be like the same as me telling the cashier that prices should be lower. He's going to be like, yeah, okay, whatever. I'm going to do this. I don't agree with that analogy. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, I could tell you that, you know, like I, the, the very people I trust a lot have told me that Kevin Lowe is involved in the, the OEG for sure. Yeah. Uh, but he's not in a decision-making uh, uh, position at all. Yeah. But anyway, you're, well, you're right. I, they, they didn't get rid of a lot of the people oh, that were awful. causing problems. And now, kept hiring more former right. Oilers. So is that when when you drew the line and said, "Listen, it, I am uh, I am not I couldn't do it anymore. giving my uh, time or energy or money to this organization." Did you yeah. cut them off basically? Basically, and I think a lot of fans have. Like, there's been so many fans that have now given up their season tickets and stuff, and it's been so many years of failure, and then off season of like sign some free agents and build the hope again, and they've been really good at that. And business wise. Give Kate's credit. Like he's, the Oilers are worth way more money now than when he bought the team. Uh, as a businessman, he's been very successful. The fact that they still sell out so much and stuff, but yeah, it's been poorly run, dude. So I couldn't take it anymore. Like as a fan, year after year after year, and I'm sure there's a lot of fans that can relate to this. It's like, it starts to wear on you psychologically, dude. Like it was like, literally I was getting so upset when they were continuing to lose and continuing to lose. 
but then I would put on this facade to call into your show and be like, I'm predicting another win. And that was kind of the funny part of the gag. And I think that's also why there was so many people that didn't like it. Probably. But that's cool, right? It's Because uh, people saw it as shtick, right? Yeah, it's a shtick. And it's also like, this guy's an idiot. He's just like, some people literally like, what, he thinks the others are going to win? Yeah, and... you you were over-exaggerating. You were playing a character kind of, uh, but in it's at the character. same time, you were, yeah, you weren't that positive because, uh, you know, I, I, I talked to you a couple of different times off air or, you know, when we were on location a couple of times and there was, there was legit frustration from you, even though you were you know, putting oh. up this front as this, yeah. uh, really, uh, optimistic, you know, now the playoff run was, uh, definitely an optimistic time in the, the, the 2017 playoff run, right? Yeah. That, that was 2006. definitely. 2006. No, the most recent, sorry, the most recent playoff. It was a I time to sell. Stanley yeah, Cup run. No, no, this most recent playoff run was a. What six, a nice treat. Hey, yeah. Oilers fans. But that was it. That's been it for that like. one playoff appearance in 13 years. Wasn't yeah. that great guys? So it was, it was yeah, great. It was like, It was awesome. You're, you're and the right, city got together, but there just hasn't been enough. And so you quit. You, you, did you watch much Oiler game, many Oiler games this year? I stepped away. No, dude. I, I used to go to Oilers games. I used to follow all the games. I used to call into the show all the time. And I had to step away from it because it was literally affecting my, my psyche, dude. Like it was giving, it was I, w- I don't want to say depression, but I think, and there is, there's, you can read online about stories about how sports fans get, can get so like the real fanatics can get, can get the, well, the, how m- the negativity of losing season after losing season can really affect you. Right. So I stepped away from it, but I'm here to tell you the optimism is back. And I know a lot of Oilers fans are still trying like cautiously op- optimistic has been like a go-to word every season. How could you not with the the track record of this team? Yeah. It's like, listen, you know what it is? Caution being the key word. Yeah. You're Charlie Brown and Lucy has just convinced you to <laughs> kick the football again. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, dude. Charlie Brown, oh Charlie Brown. I can't believe it. She must think I'm the most stupid person alive. That's over what Oilers fans are. And over and, and almost shame on them. And I know they were trying. I know they were trying, but hiring your buddies... And continually letting your buddies fail and then letting your buddies hire more buddies. Like, have you ever seen the TV show Bar Rescue? Yes, I have. John, uh, yeah. is it John, John Taff? Taffer. Yeah, Taffer. I would yeah. have loved to seen John Taffer walk into the Oilers management and scream and yell at those guys and say, how can you keep, you keep promoting these guys instead of firing them? Be an owner. That's what Taffer would have said to them. But why, like the Ken Holland... Hiring Ken Holland first was huge. And I know some fans are like, well, his track record as of lately, he's got Detroit in cap trouble. Well, let's look at his full resume. Like he, he, he took that team to the playoffs. How many years in a row? And a lot of it was pre-cap. Yeah. The, the, the most, the biggest success he had was pre-cap, but he did post-cap, uh, go to the finals and win. So, but what that meant was because that team was finishing so high up the standings every year is they never got to pick in the top 10. They never got to pick first overall, right? Top so, 15, they weren't picking in. Like they were in like the 20 to yeah. 30 every year almost. So he was very well known for being able to draft and develop and drafting guys late, like the Datsuks and the Zetterbergs and like just some excellent players that were deep in the draft. One of the best defensemen of all time, dude. When, when was... I can't remember his name right now. Nick Lidstrom? Yeah. He was drafted pretty late and right? He wasn't a top 10 draft pick. Uh, We'd have to look it up. Yeah, no, he, no. Like you're right. Nick Lidstrom uh, was the, you know, what was uh, probably the best defenseman um, as an adult. 
I've been able to watch. Chris Pronger is right there too, and they're yeah. very different. Um, but when but, you when you look at like I I remember watching a game of Nick Lidstrom from ice level at Rexall Place one time, and he was so smooth. It was ridiculous how good he was. It yeah, looked he, effortless. He I think he was like a, a second round pick. Wow. Somewhere I'll, I'll I'll check. I'll look it up. But yeah. Yeah, watching him at ice level was like this is the smoothest uh I've ever seen this the smoothest defenseman. You know, I remember watching Paul Coffey when I was a kid and going to Jets games and stuff, but I don't yeah. I couldn't couldn't process it like you do as an adult and Lidstrom, realize how special Lidstrom it was. Lidstrom was the Kawhi Leonard of Yeah. Of hockey. Pretty, like uh, he yeah. always makes the, the right decision. Yeah. He just always did the right So yeah, Ken Holland was a, a the right had a lot of success in Detroit and ensure some of it was uh, pre-cap, and and that's fine. But even post-cap, there was obviously success, and draft and develop, dude. That's so what the Oilers need. I'm I'm a little bit skeptical because of what he did in Detroit is similar to what Chiarelli did here. So I'm a little bit in in recent years. In recent years, in, and now that but that could have been ownership saying we're not ready to rebuild. Try to fix this. Yep. And and if if you're a GM, you do what you're told. Like, I think Steve Eiserman's going to go in there and do some interesting things in yeah. Detroit. So yeah. maybe Ken Holland was doing, maybe Ken Holland wanted to say, no, let's sell these guys and let's rebuild. And maybe he wasn't allowed to, and he had to go after those contracts. So yeah. that's a possibility. That's what I'm hoping. And he can say, okay, like this is, this is kind of like, but remember what, when I was growing up and, and I think we're in the, the same age, close to the same age, Detroit wasn't good. Like they got crushed by the no, Oilers the 80s, and the Norris sucked. and stuff like that. And then they slowly built into this powerhouse, and, and he Holland was, was, and he was a process, a yep. part of that. So, so he's got a really he, long resume. Yeah, and and I would say ninety percent of the years on his resume were were very well run. Because yep. he's right. right. He even said in his own press conference, like you're not going to win every trade. Yeah, you're going to make mistakes, but if you can win most of them, and I wouldn't also be feeling so optimistic right now if I didn't already see the changes in management that have happened. McTavish has left the building. Sutter. On on the pro scouting level, which they've done a terrible job Awful. on on Awful. trades, other than chase on and signings, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you you know like that's like you can't you hit a few, you you miss a few, but they've they've missed. But way one more chase than on hit. doesn't make up for all the terrible, like the no. ridiculous trades last year for those two defensemen. Coffee's also gone. Yep. They've parted ways with Coffee, so the old boys club is finally being broken up. I love Dave Tippett as a coach. He was a guy that that to me as a coach. He took a lot of teams that probably didn't didn't have the talent to make the playoffs, and he took a lot of teams to the playoffs. Well, you know, it's interesting. His first year in Dallas is the best season he's ever had as a coach, points-wise, and they were good. Consistently made the playoffs there. Went no to, Stanley Cups, but no I think Stanley he made Cups. it to the final with Dallas? No, uh, the conference, conference final, final, I think. Yeah. Uh, but then he goes to Arizona, where there's a considerable drop in talent, oh, totally. and still makes the playoffs yes. three years in a row. That's yes. the thing. And he said at his press conference... He's not a defensive coach. He was brought in by Dallas to to improve their offense. And you look at the amount of goals per season that his teams were scored, and I think only once below 200 in Dallas. And he obviously had to spread it out in Arizona. Like he had Mike Medano in Medano's last productive season, his first season, 85 points for Mike Medano. Other than that, he didn't have a lot of stars. He had Zuboff, which obviously helps and stuff, but 
He can do a, a lot with a little, it seems, That's is what right. I'm trying to get at. And he's so got McDavid and Drysaddle to build around. Right. So. And Nuge. Let's not forget about and Nuge. Nuge and Hopkins, whether how they deploy him or if they use him to bring something that's in. A, that's a pretty good thing to have as a team, to have three really top-level centers. Yeah, you, you yeah, and one of them can be a winger because it's really yeah. hard in these days to go three lines and get pro- productivity. Uh, so Dave Tippett has you. Back on the train, so to speak. Uh, you are mostly are overly you, optimistic again. Yeah. So, what's the one thing you think happens this year for the Edmonton Oilers? Do you think they make the playoffs? Do you think they come close? Do you think they can go to like a conference final? Like, well, what what do you think for this? Like, because there are so many holes on this roster yeah. that I don't know if Ken Holland can fix it in one year. Yeah, and it's hard to say. Like, uh, it's going to be interesting, obviously, to see the draft and to see free agency. I don't think free agency, I think most GMs are starting to realize that's not where you want to try and hit a home run anymore. That's maybe where you want to just pick up your one to two million guys for third and fourth line duties and stuff like that. Yeah, I would rather acquire a player through a trade at the draft using multiple draft picks and prospects if you're going to go that route. I'm glad you brought that up, Dean, because this is going out to you. All the people who are going to be negotiating the next CBA for the leagues, we need to get rid of these no trade clauses, man. It won't happen. Well, but you will agree how that how that handcuffs certain teams like Edmonton and Winnipeg when when the players don't want it and they can tell their their GM that you can't trade me to Edmonton or Winnipeg because I don't like minus thirty. I'd rather be in Florida. That's like it's still not a level playing field. It's still not fully fair. Free agency is similar. You can never take free agency away from the guys because if you get to that point in your career oh, course, yeah. where you've earned it, then then but good on you. No trade clause. That is their, like the the owners have uh, most of the control. That is a player controlling his destiny. And it listen, it should. It, I would I would rather they don't exist, but they do, and you're yep. never getting rid of them. And Ken Holland is actually a guy who I think was known for he didn't he wasn't well, he don't he doesn't hand out very many contracts with Well, no I'm trade sure clauses. Lou Lamorello, I don't think did either, but if you have Connor McDavid and he says no, I'm I'd like a no trade. That's different. What are you going to do? That's different. Leon Draisaitl, same thing. There's too many lower end players that somehow got that added into their contract. But you're what a right. way to handcuff a you're, GM, right? You're now, right. Now I only have a list of four teams that I can trade you to. Well, it's longer than that. It's well, whatever, yeah, right? But, like it's just it's But silly. no, but I I agree, but you're that that's what the players bargain for. That's their yeah, uh, that's their security blanket, if you will. Yeah, um, like at it least, just it just at least the an unlevel playing field, of course. For some but of at least teams. the NHL isn't the NFL or the CFL where there's no guaranteed contracts no. and you could get cut tomorrow. That so they have some security, but that's what they bargain for to say. If I'm signing for six years and I'm putting my family down and they, yeah. my kids are going to school, I don't want to be uprooted in year two and go halfway across the country or three years. My daughters are in high school and I don't want to be uprooting them during their high school years. So, uh, yeah. you know, there's there's a family and a personal aspect to it, not just a business aspect. And that's what the players look at it is, you know, you, know, you have kids? I have kids, yeah. Okay, so your kids are in high school. All of a sudden, you're ripped out, and you got to go to uh, PEI now. Yeah. And they got to make all these new friends, or you leave your family. So that's the, yeah. the personal side of it. Yeah. Those guys can cry their tears on their $100 bills. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It, no, it doesn't matter how much trade. money you have. Your family is still your family, that's man. That's true. I'm, yeah, I'm not taking that away yeah. from them. I just think it's... As a, as a, hey, as a fan of one of the teams that has... It's the northernmost team with probably the worst weather in the yeah. league... I hate to see where it's still, like we all thought kind of the salary cap would really level things off and it has helped. There's way better parity in the league now, well, right? Well, for sure, yeah. It's way harder to win two championships in a row. We're never going to see that anymore where somebody wins three or four in a row, but it's still, it's tough. So um, 
getting back to the things I like about what's going on with the Oilers is, is Ken Holland didn't also come because some fans were calling for it to blow it all up again and fire everybody in management. Not everybody in management deserved to be fired. Not actually, every scout deserves to be fired. On You're the right. amateur side of things, things have been looking good the last few mm-hmm. years, actually. They, they and do. that was a lot of Keith Gretzky, too. That's right. So with, I'm glad he's still there. Uh, the, the, the farm team did really well this year. They went on a good playoff run. We got Jay some, Woodcroft is going to return. Got some good uh, rookies coming out of the, the, uh, the CHL. Right, like it's it's all looking, it's all looking up for the Oilers. So the optimism's back, dude. I'd like to give Ken Holland the benefit, but it is the Charlie Brown kicking the football that Lucy's holding again, and I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too excited about it. But it's starting to feel like things are heading in the right direction. Let's hope. Yeah, like you know, Cates wants it to start heading. It's got to be an embarrassment for him. That's a guy with a big ego, and I think it took a lot for him to to come out actually in public here recently and and admit some of the. Like he failures. Took, he took some of the failures. Like he he owned it, and as he should, he I would like stops to, at him, right? I would like to see him own it even a little more. Like I know he he fessed up to a few things at the at the press conference, but um, but things are like Ken Holland looks like he is running it properly the way a business should be run. If you've done good at your job in the world of business, I don't care what business you're in, but if you've done good at your job, you deserve pay raises. You deserve promotions. If you've done bad at your job, you don't deserve promotions. You got to hire people that have the skills and experience to run your organization, not, not I'm hiring this guy because he used to play here or I'm hiring this guy because he's buddies with this guy. That's, that's nepotism and, and that'll kill any organization. All right. To wrap up, this is the sense I get. This was you during the uh, past 12, 13 years. Am I hot? Yeah, I'm hot. That's you, right? That was <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. This seems to be you now. Peace and love, peace and love. Yeah, dude. That is me now. Yeah, Ringo nailed it, dude. Peace and love. Like it's, and that is the thing too. Like when I was getting so excited and overly excited about the losses and stuff like that, dude, like I had to step away. Like literally had to go like do an ayahuasca ceremony. Like you've seen Young Guns. You've seen Young Guns. I think it's peyote in Young Guns. Ayahuasca? Yipes. Double yipes. Ayahuasca? You went through an ayahuasca ceremony to come out on the other side dude. as an Oilers fan? I recommend it if people are out there struggling. If you're struggling and you're running out answers, go try an ayahuasca ceremony. Like it's going to, like you're going to go to the spirit world. You're going to go to a new realm, but you're going to come out of it somewhat changed. And I think with a lot of people, you change for the better. And the thing for me is it's just a game. These guys are humans too. Like people are so easy twitter's gotten so negative right like it's just there's so much negativity on social media and and people just want to jump on i see people do it to you sometimes too like complete strangers will lip you off on your twitter account yeah here's how much time i have for those guys zero point zero you're blocked like you you here's the thing about twitter good call if somebody was if you were standing on a street corner and somebody came up to you like me or anybody, and started yelling at you, uh, you're a loser, you're fat, oh, God. Uh, racials, taunts, if uh, whatever race you are, or any it's homophobic. Yeah. If if somebody started yelling that to you, yeah. would you stand there, listen to them, no. or would you walk away? You'd leave. You'd leave. So that's the same thing as you Twitter. Have to. If somebody does that, if somebody comments about my weight or my depression or whatever it was, and I used to get those text messages all the time uh, in my uh, radio days, I just blocked them on on Twitter. Be like, why the hell would I listen to that? So that's how you deal with negativity in in my mind. And I'm glad to hear that you've come out on the other side of this and mostly overly optimistic guy is back. Yeah, dude. Mostly overly optimistic guy is back. The optimism is back. 
Does it have to be overly optimistic? Yeah, because to make the acronym, you need two O's. So, <laughs> otherwise, you'd be a mog, which I don't want to uh, be a mog. John Candy no. in Spaceball. But I'd like to encourage... He was a mog man. He was man's best friend. Yeah. If the Oilers fans... Like, I'm Joe Average Oilers fan. And if Joe Average Oilers fan uh, could just chill out a little bit and 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 remember that it's just a game and remember that that all these guys, even the managers, like, you know, when we're calling for people to be fired and stuff, that's... Those are human beings. And, like, if you're a player on the Oilers, they've talked about it. They, like, you've heard other former players talking about how hard it can be sometimes to play in the city with... with with, uh, but what do you expect when the, when the, when that, there's been so many listen, losing seasons, you can't expect fans to be all skipping to the rink every night. And not that is one, off. but that is one thing that comes like when, when you talked about crying on hundred dollar bills or whatever, it's part of the job, but that is it? part of the job. And, and listen, getting traded is, is part of the job yeah. as well. I'm not saying that, but, um, you know, if you want to be, um, a, a, have a job that you're away from the public eye, there's a lot of them. You, nobody's yep. forcing anybody. So the criticism for me is warranted the last 12 or 13 years. Yeah. Now, calling out a guy in public in the, at dinner. Over the line! I'm sorry, Smokey. You were over the line. That's a foul. Chucking jerseys on the ice? Over the line, Smokey. That's, that's too much. Yeah. So th- that stuff is, but um, criticizing a player on social media, I'm not sure I would uh, tag them, but you can you can be openly yeah. critical just like you can on a, on a radio show. But yeah. don't approach people... Uh, in public, in a negative way. If you want to walk up and say, uh, welcome to our city, to a new player, or I'm really gra- glad you're here, Connor McDavid, thanks very much, and then leave, that's yeah. fine. Don't walk up and say, get your freaking power play going. But when the opposing team is getting off the bus in the Stanley Cup final, and it's the Carolina Hurricanes coming into Edmonton, and you want to stand back by the chain link at the Northlands Coliseum and just boo and jeer and let all those guys know that they're in our house now, Oh man, that one night we did that before game six and the Oilers dominated that night. And I thought, I wonder how much that had to do with when those guys got off the bus. We just, so many Oilers fans just gave it to those Hurricanes, the Whalers. You guys should get Stanley Cup rings for that. Long live the Whale. Thanks, Mo. Thanks, Diener. Uh, good luck uh, on sports and more. I love it. I'll be listening and uh, thanks for having me. Terry's Discount Sex Shop. We're at the corner of Libido and Cleavage. Kidding. First of May, come down see me. Ask for Harry. I'm the guy with a snake on his face. I love you. From SCTV to the big screen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> John Candy was a comedic legend. Buck melanoma. Molly Russell's wart. Oh, oh, that feels good. Oh, God, I'm telling you, my dogs are barking today. We now celebrate another great John Candy character. I like me. My wife likes me. My customers like me. Because I'm the real article. What you see is what you get. Today in John Candy Characters, we are looking at Jack Chester in Summer Rental, released August 9th, 1985. This is a, a movie directed by Carl Reiner, and your typical John Candy character didn't do great at the box office uh, and doesn't have a ton of positive reviews. Uh, it's certainly, I wouldn't say maybe top five or top three of his, but uh, I, I like it. It's the kind of lovable loser that you've come to expect from John Candy characters. You just heard at the end of uh, the intro there that was the planes, trains, and automobiles uh, character, Adele. Anyway, this is Jack Chester, an air traffic controller, forced to take time off during the summer, five weeks, uh, because he has a bit of a, an issue at work, and so he decides to take the family to Florida for five weeks. They get a uh, great place, at least for a little while, to rent. 
Jack forms a rivalry with the local sailing king, Al Pellet, played by Richard Crenna. Candy's character forms an alliance with a grizzled owner of a fish restaurant, which is actually a sailboat. I think it's called Barnacles, and that's played by Rip Torn. Uh, Joey Lawrence of Blossom fame, he's actually in it as uh, John Candy's son. Uh, So things go not so great, but not all that bad. He does get a, a few looks at his neighbor and her new breast implants. What do you think of these? Similar. I just got them. Who had them before you? <laughs> the typical John Candy laugh. Uh, Jack Chester tries to make up for the family vacation not going so well. He tries to bet Al Pellet over annual race. And things, they, they don't look very good at all. They look bleak. Hey, can't win them all. But you'd like to win one, wouldn't you? One would be nice. As for the race, you'll have to watch and find out. Here's what uh, director Carl Reiner had to say about John Candy's performance. Quote, like a small, beautiful painting in a large frame, John is a handsome guy in a larger frame than is necessary. Uh, The director-actor duo planned another movie after summer rental because it went so well between them. It was to be called The Last Holiday, but it never happened. Candy's physical comedy is awesome. And like every one of his movies, there is the one scene that you just really chuckle at. Uh, For me, it's when he's trying to maneuver a crowded beach carrying a cooler umbrella and his daughter on his shoulders. Oh, excuse me. Oh, geez, I'm sorry. Really? Hey, there was my hand. Sorry about that. Really? Just saying. Fine. Oh, oh, oh! Oh, it's a The thing broke off again. I recommend Summer Rental with John Candy. It's also cool that at times during the movie, he's wearing a uh, Stan McKee number 21 Blackhawk jersey. So that's also something to look forward to if you're a hockey fan. That was John Candy as Jack Chester in Summer Rental. Oh, that's hot. That's hot. What's hot right now? Hansel. So hot right now. Let's explore in Cool of the Week. Very well. Where do I begin? I'm going with the show I don't watch a lot of anymore, but I used to religiously, Saturday Night Live. Um, The only time I wasn't glad Saturday Night Live was on when I was a kid is because Saturday Night Main Event would be on or something like that. But I used to always, I I remember Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood. I think the uh, Mike Myers, Adam Sandler, Dana Carvey overlapping years, Chris Rock, uh, Spade, Farley. Those were the best Saturday Night Live years for me. So it was great. I just watched uh, on Sunday the episode of Saturday Night Live in the last couple of weeks, where Adam Sandler hosted. And listen, I had no idea. And spoiler alert, if you haven't watched it and you want to check it out yet, I'm going to talk about some of the skits, so I don't want to ruin it for you. So uh, skip ahead a little bit if you have not watched it and you plan to. But I loved his monologue, talking about getting fired. Who knew that? Chris Rock also got fired. Like, it's amazing that, uh, you know, and a friend of mine pointed out the other day that you look at like the Mike Myers movies and um, the Will Ferrell skits uh, that have gone on, uh, the, the Rock, the Night at the Roxbury, and those kind of Saturday Night Live skits that turned into movies. And you know, there's obviously a few other Coneheads was one and things like that. There was never a 
Adam Sandler character turned into a movie. And, and I guess a Chris Rock character either because apparently they got fired. So anyway, they've uh, made up and Andrew Sandler hosted. He did Weekend Update as Opera Man, which was great. Uh, one skit was awesome is like all his movie characters were his relatives. So it was really, I, I haven't laughed out loud at uh, Saturday Night Live in a long, long time. And I did uh, on that episode. So if you're an Adam Sandler fan and I'll watch anything with Sandler. He's one of the, the few guys I'll watch anything of. No questions asked. I highly recommend you check out the recent Adam Sandler hosted Saturday Night Live. And lastly, let's get to Obscenely Rich list. This is things I would do if I was obscenely rich. It's pretty simple. Love to hear your thoughts, what you would do if you were obscenely rich. But I would open a small theater, not a big one, just like a, I'd buy an old theater, refurbish it. I would decorate it as if it was like, uh, 1902 or something like that, uh, because it would only show classic Westerns. Well, not just classic. It would show Westerns, um, every night. Maybe there'd be like a three day run of a special movie or a different movie every night and things like that. And, and it would maybe be like a 15, 20, 30 seater, uh, just maybe my friends would come sometime, but it would be an all Western theater and it would be decorated in that, uh, regard, uh, with the different kind of paintings and probably some antlers and things like that. And some six guns hanging on there, some, some rifles and things like that. Cowboy hats everywhere. Maybe you can ride a horse in the lobby. I don't know. It's I'm obscenely rich. What do I care? I got to hire somebody to clean up some horse crap. So I think I would open a Western only theater. Uh, if I was obscenely rich, would love to hear from you at times. Get me on Twitter at duck Millard. Tell me what you think of the show. Uh, please leave a review if you if you do enjoy it or if you have suggestions on how I could make it better. Subscribe as well, and you can get this every Monday when it is put up. Uh, this one's a little bit late. I've been distracted by the uh, Raptors trying to come back here in the third quarter. I'm going to go finish this game. Hopefully by the time you listen to this, the Raptors are the NBA champions. I'd like to thank Craig Button for joining me on the show from TSN. Make sure you dig into his Craigslist leading up to the draft. He is uh, just an excellent resource when it comes to the draft. And Moog, the Oiler fan, mostly overly optimistic guy, comes out of hibernation and he's back on the Oiler train. Uh, so you as an Oiler fan can let me know what you think. Again, thanks so much for listening to the Sports and More podcast. You can check out deanmillard.ca for different podcasts and you can subscribe to this one wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for joining me. We'll talk to you again on Monday. Here's a little bit more of the uh, song Beach Bag from Sweet Bejesus. Playtime is over. She's got a wing on the iPod And I've got the camera on the tripod I'm gonna keep the shutter open for the rest of the day I'm gonna capture every single move that she make Hash crumbs, a hair elastic, and a brand new diamond ring. The bottom of a beach bag. Love you so true.
Head redneck invading space all over my girlfriend. He's trying to flirt with her, touch her, and all up and down. She's holding her own as his buddies are holding me down. Fresh rounds of silencer and my nine millimeter friend. Bottom of a beach bag. Sweet lead, blood red, they dead. Yeah. Pack up the beach bag.